welcome. You're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're a team of five badass women who will be your sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing. We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing sips and design tips. Now that's worth raising a glass to. So grab your favorite vino and join us. Welcome guys to another episode of Wine and Whiteboards. Today we're going to talk about freelancing and how to balance your nine to five and side hustle. The five of us have been building the Wine and Whiteboards podcast on the side as a passion project. And Paige, myself, has been doing freelance design for the past six plus years. All of us work on our day-to-day with freelancers at our nine-to-five jobs in B2B marketing as well. And so now that you know a little bit about our background in freelance, today we're going to talk about the eight steps to balancing your nine-to-five and side hustle. But before we do so, let's talk about wine and what we're drinking. So let me know what you guys are doing. Well, I went out on a whim. This is Charlotte. I went out on a whim and decided to try a winery up north that I usually don't go to very often. It's called Leelanau Cellars. I am drinking their uh, Great Lakes Red Bubbly. It's a slightly carbonated, semi-sweet red wine. It's pretty good. It, It reminds me a lot of juice, to be honest with you. I actually had to double check the can and see if it even had alcohol content. It does. So it's legit. It's actually 13%, which is really high. So, but it reminds me of New Year's when I was a kid and had to drink the the grape juice. But yeah, it's a little sweet. It's a little treat today. I wasn't sure if you said out on a whim or on a limb. Because and so that you said there's a whim out on a whim, which I was Googling because I wasn't sure what the proper phrase was because you know how when it's let's flush something out and I never I always used to think it was flush it out (laughs) which kind of works I think in the same realm apparently it's out on a limb means taking a pretty big risk but on a whim means doing something with no specific plan and no specific reason and out on a whim is not a thing but regardless (laughs) it doesn't matter I I don't know what's what I use but to your point of flush it out or flush it out I actually hate the word flush it out and I know or the phrase and I know that that's the correct way but I still don't say it that way because the word flush grosses me out yeah no Um, I think let's go flush it out even though I know it's flush (laughs) well also you flush toilets so just flush that shit out flush it (laughs) I thought it made sense (laughs) anyways this is Sarah today I'm drinking not a local wine it's Stella Rosa blueberry (laughs) and it's as fruity as it sounds, it's a slightly alcoholic, lightly fruited wine. So kind of your Boone's Farm slash, what is it, sparkling spumante that you have for New Year's Eve. It's good if you want something light and refreshing. I guess I'm going to jump in too, is I'm not drinking wine today because I'm drinking Wildberry Trulies. I've been kind of into the Trulies lately, and I will be opening a bottle of wine from my uh, trip with Chad a few years ago, and it's called Eroica, and it's the Chateau Saint-Michel in Washington. So that one's, I'll have to follow up and tell you guys how that one is. I am drinking, it's nothing special, it's just a red blend from one of my first leaf wines, 
And I feel that's all I'm just going to have for the next couple of months since I'm just going to go all in on this wine subscription since it just comes to my door and I don't have to worry about it. Do you do it monthly? Now I'm doing it every other month. Okay, because I ran out pretty darn quick, so I'm surprised you have some left. Well, so I've gotten two so far, and I'm going to do every other month, and I upped it to 12 bottles because then the shipping is free. (laughs) Why not? Why the hell not? It's quarantine still. And this is Katie. I'm drinking a mystery wine today. It's a white wine that I got in one of those little proposal boxes for being a bridesmaid. So it had its own label on it. It's a mystery. Sorry. Pablo says, excuse me. If I had to guess, <laughs> I think it would be a Riesling or maybe Moscato. I'm not sure. If those are also white label wines. Yeah. Especially Moscato. Pretty, pretty yellow. I don't know. <laughs> Have you guys watched Staying Organized on Netflix yet? It's with the home edit. Not yet, but I saw it. I think it'll make me hate my life. And yeah. make me feel really bad about my house. I went to Target to get a couple things for our upcoming trip. And I went through the organizing section because I've watched five episodes at this point. I need to go get some more baskets and things to organize my life. But then I looked at the price and I realized how many I needed. And I was like, this is to be a $500 bill at the end of this. I need to stop and just take a step back. So I'm just going to enjoy the show first and maybe I'll start organizing my life. Um, but I think it's more expensive. It. Yeah. You I should try the container store. That stuff gets even worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to go to TJ Maxx or Home Goods. Mm-hmm. But the problem is if you find ones, you have to buy everything they have then and there because then they'll be gone if you try to go back and get more. And then it's mismatched. And I, yeah, there's that downfall. But I can appreciate the show so much because I organize my closet how they do in color. So they do the rainbow spectrum. So they go with white to red to pink to, you know, it, it's, it's purposeful. And then I label all of my stuff. So I was, I feel heard and understood. So my little OCD moment. First of all, Paige, when you label, when you organize them by color, do you have, I organize mine by what type of garment it is. So pants, shirts sweaters just so I know based on the seasons is that how you do it or literally are your pants and your shirts and everything mixed in together because that might drive me nuts I go by season so I have two sections so I have season from color the rainbow of summer and then they do the the fall stuff too but I tried it where it was all mixed and it got confusing and everything so I do try and section it but the rainbow somehow I don't know it helps me I know I have a lot of the same colors but just sectioning them out of, oh, blue is going to match this. And then I can kind of go and do that. (laughs) If anybody remembers when we were introducing ourselves back in one of our early episodes, I'm pretty sure we talked about Paige's wardrobe app that we thought was good in theory, but none of us would ever keep up with it. But Paige does. And this is why this is a perfect example here. I know. And I've been living in sweatpants for the last six months. So it hasn't really even mattered. (laughs) Is your Scorpio or... Yeah, that's what it's called. A Scorpio sign? Is it? No, not a Scorpio. What's it called? Your astrological, sign? My astrological sign? Yeah, yeah. Why do I want to call it a Scorpio sign? Is Are you a cancer? is a sign. I'm a cancer. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel that's, my mom's a Virgo, and that sounds very much something my mom would do. Mm-hmm. She's all into her 
she's a hippie. She's all into her signs. <laughs> Katie's. Like, oh yeah, you're a cancer. That sounds a lot what a cancer would do. <laughs> Paige, I can attest to your organization in your closets though, because one time when I was pet sitting for Rosie or the cats, I snooped in a closet. Because I was, I don't know, I was looking for something and you did have these perfectly labeled bins for medicine and band-aids and anyways, those are the goals I want for my new house and pantry. I was, I need to get some bins and then I need to label them, Paige did, so that I can find things. Because every time we try to go in the pantry, we knock things over. The ibuprofen and the Tums have been all over the floor. It's a disaster right now. <laughs> Organize your life. That's, yeah. I You guys watch oh. the show and then get back to me. You You'll binge and enjoy it too. We'll have to take a look. I was just going to say, Alice, now that we know that organization is not going to be any of our side hustles except for maybe pages, let's dive into what our actual side hustles are and our tips to balance our nine to five with those side hustles. Uh, so number one in our list here that we created for you is to create boundaries, because if you work a full time job, it's important to make sure that you don't let your performance slip in that job. And you also can't work 24-7. So your side hustle can't always be the priority and jumping in and taking over your time. Yeah, you need breaks. You need vacations. You really just need some time to relax and binge on TV shows we just talked about. Because you can't work and expect your creativity and your, I guess, just even to function. So what I suggest is determine for yourself when you're going to work and when you're not going to work. And kind of try to be diligent again, I guess, against that. If you are working a full-time job, for me, it's nine to five. Am I going to be working nights? Am I going to be working seven to 10? Am I going to be working weekends? You do need to have those boundaries kind of set for yourself before you talk to clients. And I would maybe think about too, if depending on what you do after your nine to five now, if that's what you work or whatever shift you work, what do you enjoy doing on a weekly basis? What does your normal week look? Are you willing to forfeit something that you're already doing to make room for your freelance? Or are you just simply trying to work around your time available that you have now? For example, my husband and I live a pretty busy life. Well, this was before COVID and before baby. <laughs> um, we live a pretty busy life. Our weekends are usually packed. And even sometimes our weekdays, we might only have a day or two that we don't have anything going on after work. So if I were to pick up a side hustle, I would say, okay, well, I might have four hours a week to commit to this and that's it. So you have to have to know what those boundaries are for sure, or else you're going to be disappointed. Well, and on the flip side of things, you can also disappoint your clients if you don't set those expectations because they might have certain expectations, which I think actually leads us into number two, which is setting expectations. So that makes sense. But it's it's frustrating for somebody who's using a freelancer and doesn't know when they're going to work, when they're going to get things done, and they have expectations, but those just haven't been, you guys haven't become aligned on those. I can attest to this. I mean, we use freelancers, but also having just moved into a house, we use contractors. And the number one thing that is making me very angry now is that they don't communicate the expectations of when they're going to work, how much they're going to work. They're not realistic. And they just don't seem to be able to respond to let me know when they might be coming. And there's and then that works for when you're not able to do work or when you are able to do work. As long as you communicate it, then I don't think people will have a problem with it. And this is a consistent 
headache or struggle that we have with a freelancer that we currently use. They do great work and we absolutely love working with them, but we're in completely different time zones. We're across the country. So when we're on four hours in front of them and we don't know when they're going to be working, it's okay if it's a project that's pretty easy and you don't need to communicate back and forth, but if it's something that you're going to need to touch base on a few times when you're on completely opposite work schedules, that can be really, really frustrating. So I would definitely make it a point to communicate the hours that you'll typically be working. Of course, things happen and you're not going to be exact every single time, but I would do the best you can to estimate, hey, I work 7 p.m. to, I don't know, 2 a.m. or something. So if you need to get a hold of me, that's when I'll be online. Katie, side note the freelancer you're talking about moved time zones and is now only an hour behind us. So hopefully this won't be such an issue in the future. Yay, that's great news. Yeah. I think communication is key no matter what and the way you're going to communicate with either your freelancers or if you're a freelancer communicating with your clients is also going to be a big deal as well. And you should also be respectful and let people know if you have upcoming vacations, just because ideally they need to plan their work and your workload accordingly. If you spring a vacation on them, it kind of throws everyone off or maybe even a move. Something where you're not going to be with internet for a period of time is at least something you should notify people of. And preferably, I don't know, at least a couple of weeks in advance, even a month is you know, preferable. As soon as you know that you're booking it, you should probably just get it on someone's radar if they rely on you on a regular basis. Yeah, I actually have a vacation coming up on Wednesday this week. And so I let my freelance work know a couple weeks in advance. And then I reminded them a week ago just to be okay, if you guys have anything you need, I will not have service. So I do not want to leave you hanging and get you frustrated or anything, but I will be gone. So you do have to kind of let them know I actually work with a few clients who are in California time zone. So I do have that similar thing that the girls were talking about where your five o'clock is not their five o'clock. So if you're clocked out for the night, they might have to wait until the next day to hear from you. So those are things that you might want to just talk to them about, let them know your hours every day, approximately. I mean, things change, but definitely communicate that because you don't want them being, well, they're ghosting me. They're not responding. So that's, that's a big, big part of setting expectations. One thing is I guaranteed you will get an email or a call asking you to do something last minute if you don't set these expectations. I've gotten a text at 10 p.m. saying they need something at 5 a.m. the next day. So if I wouldn't have checked or, you know, noticed, then they wouldn't have been able to hit their deadline. So those things do come up, but set the expectation at least. Paige, you bring up a good point. Sometimes people text you, but you should always set or share what form of communication you prefer. Is it email? Is it phone? Is it text? Is it calling you? Is it Asana? Everyone has a preferred way of communicating. And unfortunately, I think people are going to have different ways of communicating, but you have to figure out what way is best to work with the freelancer or for you as a freelancer to work with clients. If you don't want them to text or call you, you should set that as an expectation. Paige, you've probably had to do this or tried to do this. I don't know if you've been successful. Tried is probably the best term because I opened that can of worms. So if you really don't want text or calls, don't open that can of worms. Tell them it's email, sauna, whatever it is. 
but I opened it because we had a different time zone change. So I wanted to make sure if it was anything last minute that they could call me or text me. Communicate, communicate, I can't even say this. Can you guys say communicate three times? Because I apparently can't. Communicate, communicate, communicate. I actually wanted to call out the way you said it, Paige, when you said that you were telling your clients that you were going to be gone on vacation. The way in which you expressed that, I think, shows a lot of empathy and a lot of collaboration where you're like, hey, just a reminder, I'm going to be out. I really don't want to leave you hanging. If there's anything you need, please get it to me by X time so I can have it to you before I'm gone and don't have service. The way you approach that is very empathetic. And I think most people would would respond to that really well. So if there is anyone out there who's looking to set those expectations, take a note from Paige here and how you express that because you do want people to be successful, but you also want to be respectful of your own boundaries. So you have to find that fine line. And empathy is a great way to do that. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's more of, I want to make sure that they're happy, but also a lot of my work has come from referrals. So if my client isn't happy, I'm not going to get that referral or another client based on this. So make sure your client is happy at the end of the day. And that is probably the best advice of this entire episode. Another thing that you might want to communicate is project deadlines. If it's realistic, sometimes I've gotten things where it's less than 24 hour turnaround. That's okay. Sometimes things come up, but if you can help it, try and avoid it and just kind of let them know, Hey, I'm going to be going out to drinks with friends tonight. I'm not going to be able to get to this until Monday, the next day, you know? So you just have to kind of let them know if that deadline is actually appropriate Give them a better realistic deadline if you can't hit what they are asking. And being on the other side of that, obviously we've had things that come up short notice and it's always, it's horrible. You feel so bad asking somebody if you're on the other side of this and you have to ask your freelancer to do something on a really short notice. I think it's really important to acknowledge that you recognize that and acknowledge that you appreciate them and the work they do because otherwise it feels very demanding versus collaborative. Yeah, that's a good point, Charlotte. Because it does happen and it sucks for everybody, but it does happen. What's the best way to handle it? I think as from your guys' perspective, being where you're hiring freelancers, it's important to know of make sure that you respect the time if you can. If it is last minute, Charlotte said, make sure that you know that you're appreciated because sometimes it one-off emails get thrown to you and you're like, I'm dropping everything and they're just kind of expecting something. So I idea that you just said of make sure that they know you're appreciated and what you're working on is important. Okay, so then we're gonna dive into number three, which is determine your pricing. So pretty much you need to answer this question for yourself. What is your time worth? Because if you're working a nine to five full-time job, your extra time for a side hustle is valuable. Katie was saying earlier, she has a very busy schedule. So what is your time actually worth to actually get these things done? And so I can't give you a a specific number. You're going to have to kind of research that for yourself, but we are going to walk you through a few things to kind of after this episode to go and check off the list. So first thing is what are you getting paid at your nine to five before taxes and benefits? Because If you're a freelancer, you are going to be taxed. A lot of people forget about this. And then the magic 30% comes later. And I had that this year. I had to pay in seven grand of taxes. It it didn't feel great. So you don't want to be surprised at the end of the year. So what I suggest is kind of set that aside. Make sure you're getting paid for what you're worth with tax. If you do need to, if you're making enough money, you have to be paying in quarterly taxes. So that is something too to kind of note. And look that up if you have more questions on it. 
So like I said, I can't give you a magic number. Something I recommend is to research what other people are charging in your industry or your field. Look at sites Upwork, Freelancer, LinkedIn, Fiverr. This new one I heard of is Working Not Working. I love the, the company title. But definitely kind of look at what other people are charging that have similar experience as you. I would also say, remember that those sites take a cut of whatever the freelancer is making. So if you are looking to freelance on one of those sites, they take a cut of your pay because obviously they have to have a business model. They have to have a revenue model. But also if you are looking for somebody on one of those sites as somebody looking to hire, make sure you're paying someone fairly and recognize that some of the funds that they will be making are going to be taken away from them. It's just something to take in consideration and making sure that, yes, you always want to get your money's worth, but at the same time, you want to be paying people fairly. So make sure you think about that when you're going on those sites. And it's not even just how much you think you're worth or your time is worth and how much you want after taxes. You also have to take into account that you're going to need to use a computer and what programs and supplies you're going to need. Page has to pay for design programs. Granted, I think sometimes you can now pay for subscriptions, but back in the day, you had to buy really expensive Adobe programs. And those were, I don't know, those were big bucks unless you were a student back in the day, at least for me when I had to purchase some of those things. I mean, do you need a camera? Do you need a mic? Do you need a mouse? Do you need extra monitors? There's just a lot of things you can add into that that factor into some of your pricing and your costs. You can write some of these things off depending on how much you're making or if you're doing an itemized tax uh, deductibles. Something to look into as well after this because my friend is a photographer. She hit the limit where she's, oh, it makes more sense for me to deduct these and she went in and itemized every single thing. So make sure you know how much you're spending on all these things separately. I actually recommend buying the book, Mind Your Business. This is pretty much a, a creative workbook, I guess is the best term I can do. It walks you through everything for starting a business. She will walk you through how to itemize your deductions, how to, I mean, I guess, price yourself, even as far as brainstorming names, if you're going to start a business, it really dives into all those things that you need for a side hustle. One of my favorite books, recommend. Matt and I have learned a lot about starting a business and all the different things that go into it. And don't go through all the legal things and all of that until you absolutely have to. Keep it simple, keep it easy. And until you have to file an LLC or, you know, some of the bank account stuff, if you don't have to open a business bank account, if you don't have to file an LLC, don't do those things until you hit a point where you have to make it easy on yourself. How, so this might be a silly question, but having never filed an LLC or created my own business, how would I know when I have to do that or when it's time to file or create one? Usually it's when your income becomes large enough that clearly it's not coming from a different source. It's coming from a business source. So the rule of thumb I was given, and this is not legal advice, anybody, please do not take this as legal advice, but a CFO told me, essentially a CFO, told me that unless you hit about the 10 grand mark, don't worry about it. And then once you hit that, then you'll want to start looking into a separate bank account just to make things easy for you. You'll want to start, you'll want to file an LLC because at that point you've proven out your business model. And at that point they will want to start collecting all the taxes on it and everything will, it all kinds of, it kind of hits that threshold. What I've been told is LLCs essentially will help you from 
a point if, if you get sued, they're not going to sue you personally. They can't take your personal assets. They will be able, they will not be able to, they will have to sue your business. So that's the LLC part. So let's say you're making 20 grand a year in freelance and you have to do an LLC. If you get sued, they're not going to take your entire assets of your home, your cars, whatever it is, it's in the LLC. So that's the protective side of things. Yeah. So I, for disclosure, I guess I haven't actually done an LLC. I was about to, I was at the point where I should. And then I went on a retainer with one of the larger companies that I work for. So all of my money went through them. So the liability part went over to them instead because I have that. And then one last thing before we dive into how much you should charge is once you have these things itemized where you think you know how much you want to get charged monthly, figure out how much you want to charge hourly or by project. Consider how much taxes are getting taken out. Add up your additional expenses and then minus all of that as your take home. Figure out what your take home is and what's actually going into your bank account. And that's what you should figure out of if it's worth your time. If it's not, increase your hourly rate or kind of make adjustments. But there's also the element of people have to be willing to pay your rate. Yeah. So, so, so you have to figure out if you have a good business model there. If you're, well, this isn't enough to make sense. I'm going to bump up my rates. Well, is somebody going to pay for that? Is that on par? Are you offering something different than somebody else that somebody else might not be that can differentiate you and allow you to charge more? And how are you going to communicate that and sell that? And like, so there's a whole piece of that there where, yes, definitely do the math and charge what you feel you're worth and what you feel makes sense for you, but also make sure people will pay for it or it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, don't go crazy. <laughs> I was going to say, your rate's not fixed either. So we have a freelancer who started at more of their introductory rate. And after a couple of years, they increased their rate, but they had proven their value to us. So you can always go back after you have proven your value and try to renegotiate. Not saying you should lowball yourself by any means. Obviously, it should be a rate that is beneficial to you. But you do have the option at certain points of time to be able to increase it as well. I increase my rate about every year and every other year just kind of as a good rule of thumb just because things add up you get more experience under your belt so you're worth more money because your experience and your expertise is better but yeah there's a there's a limit and a max that you probably should you know should watch out for so next I wanted to talk to you guys about how to charge for your clients because there's a couple different ways that I've done it and I know you guys work with freelancers who do it a little different too so a pretty common way is to charge hourly or have a set project amount. Some people have a set amount for, for example, a logo. How much would an entire logo cost? They kind of want to know an estimate. So sometimes people choose one or the other. Sometimes they don't care. I'll just pay you hourly. Just bill me at the end. And then some people will be like, okay, I really want to know what I'm getting into. So how much is this logo actually going to cost me? And then you probably should just give them an estimate. I usually give them an estimate of a high and a low number. And then I'm kind of in the good middle to make sure I stay within those boundaries. So if I'm charging someone 500 for a logo and I'm hitting my hours and I'm about to hit 500, I want to make sure that I'm either wrapping up or I let them know that we need to extend it. So yeah, one, a client might prefer one or the other. I pretty much do both on a regular basis myself. And there are benefits to both. You kind of have to figure out what works for you. If you don't want to track yourself on an hourly basis, it does get a little exhausting. You might want to go the project route. 
One thing I'll add to that is when you think about it from the perspective of hiring a freelancer, it really depends what you're using the freelancer for and what they're trying to accomplish. Because we have individuals that are supplemental to the team, they're an extension. Therefore, we obviously use them on a regular basis. So it's hourly. It really depends what your intentions are and whether it's more of a one-time thing or a recurring thing. That's a really good point too, is if it's a one-off, it might make more sense to do the project cost. And if you're working with them consistently, hourly might make more sense. Another thing that might make sense to explore is the retainer model. What I suggest with this is if you're exploring the retainer model, make sure that you're talking to your client, go through these things. Are you wanting to be paid weekly, bi-weekly, monthly? What's the consistency? Most of the time you're going to give a small discounted rate for consistent work. So if your normal hourly rate is 50, you're going to probably charge 45, something along those lines for this kind of a retainer model. That's the benefit of it for both parties. You're getting consistent work, consistent income, and they're getting a bit of a discount. Well, Paige, like just for some, if someone out here has the same question as I do, what do you do if someone chooses to pay you by a project, but they have excessive, excessive edits and changes so that you've essentially lost money on this? Do you... Do you tell them when you've hit the threshold of the project payout or do you ask them for more money? I guess, how would you handle it? Because I feel a lot of people just starting out in freelance probably have the same question. Yeah, completely. I definitely had that question when I was asked about the retainer model. What I have researched and experienced is that there's two different types of models. There's the rollover model, which is, let's say your hours are 20 a month and they only hit 10. So then 10 hours roll into the next month. Or it's the use it or lose it model. So if you're 20 hours and they only use 10, you're still getting paid for those 20. So that's, those are the two different types. So what your question was, was, what was your question again, exactly? (laughs) How do you handle it if you're essentially about to lose money on a project because you've either gone back and forth too many times or someone has excessive edits to one of your designs and like it's to no fault to you but the changes keep coming up yes thank you okay so this has happened to me a few times so that's actually why we adjusted my retainer model to have it larger because we tested out a few hours we started to go over them consistently. So what we had decided was if I was getting close to the amount of my hours and I knew it was gonna go over, I let them know. I emailed them, I called them, I told them this is how many hours I'm at. Do you have other projects? Okay, yes, we're gonna have to charge this much for the additional hours. So make sure that you communicate that if you're gonna be over, you don't wanna lose out and you also don't wanna surprise them with a bill. So that's something that you have to kind of communicate and agree upon as a team, I guess, because not everyone's going to do that. If you're over hours and some people are going to say, sorry, not sorry, you know, (laughs) it's just, it depends on your relationship, I think. I am actually curious, Paige, do you the retainer model or do you prefer doing an hourly rate? It's easier for not having to send them monthly invoice. I have a set amount of hours. If I'm over it, I let them know. Most of the time we're in within that range now. And then my taxes are pulled automatically, which has helped to not have to do the quarterly payments I was talking about or having the surprise of a couple of grand at the end of the year. Um, 
Yeah, I made sure to do, I chose the use it or lose it model um, just because rollovers tend to get confusing. And then you still have to kind of track your hours and it gets to be where I'm just, you know, you're, you're, you're doing over communication. So that's where I chose that route. I feel like rollover, rollover sounds terrible because that's a lot of coordination. And then on top of that, having to say, oh, well, last month, I know you had me for 15 hours, but next month you get me for 20 hours and you have to figure out how to budget your time. Yeah. It would fluctuate every month if people didn't use their hours. Yeah, that doesn't seem ideal, especially if someone keeps rolling them over and then they're like, oh, well, I have 40 hours saved up, so I'm going to use you 40 hours this month. And I don't know. And then we find Paige passed out on her kitchen floor next to a bottle of wine. And she's, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, pretty much some days. So one more piece of advice before we jump into number four is definitely try and at least watch your hours and the time that you're spending. Because as the freelancer, you kind of want to use a project management tool. I use Asana. I kind of go in, okay, I started at 9 a.m. I finished this project at 12 p.m. That's this many hours. So then I'm able to kind of track it um, a little bit easier. So then at the end of the month, I'm like, well, shit, I spent 50 hours and I'm only getting paid for 30. It just doesn't feel very good. And you don't want to have to ask for that money unless you really have to. Paige, do you have a good time tracking app? I think I've seen Harvest being used as Mm -hmm. one. But I don't know if that's something you use. I track it manually. I probably should find something that. And actually, there's an app that I learned about. I think it's called, shoot, it's called Wave. Wave. It's called Wave. And it's a finance app. It's kind of a QuickBooks, but it's free. And it's also kind of finance for dummies, so to speak, where, where you can easily track all the things you've had to purchase. So if you are purchasing a microphone or other things that you need to run your side hustle, you can track it all in there. And that way you have all your itemized items for your taxes and you can track your hours and it's easy to invoice people. So I feel that's also a good option if you're looking to do time tracking. And if you, I'll have to ask Matt what this app was. I don't remember, but if you're using gas, if you're driving places for your business, you can also deduct that as well. So now we're going to talk about number four, which is building your portfolio. And this is more necessary in design, but it also is relevant to many other creative fields that I know the rest of the team work with on a day-to-day basis. So for myself, as a designer, you want to share logos, website mock-ups. You want to show your collateral. If you're a content writer, maybe share a sample of your writing style, link to something that you've done for a client. If you're a marketer, share the services you provide, white papers, email marketing, that sort of thing. You kind of get the idea. I would say if you're a marketer too, also make sure you include information about your results that you've driven. Did you increase lead generation? Did you increase engagement with prospects? Did you get X amount of email responses? Like, so make sure you provide data and that probably goes for content and design as well. But I feel it's a little bit more geared towards the marketing side. Yeah, I could see it for websites too, of how much you've driven traffic or whatever. So You want to build your portfolio for potential clients to be able to hire you because um, it used to be where you had a physical portfolio that you would go in, present to everybody. It looked so pretty. That was something I had to do when I graduated college. But now it's, yeah, I don't don't know where it is anymore. But now it is virtual. 
you need to make sure that it is a website or it could be just even an Instagram, just somewhere where you can actually access this. It's more specific to designers to have this, especially on an Instagram, but that's how you get hired is digitally. So you want to make sure that you have that up to date and you have the most visually appealing for a designer. I want to show my best work. I don't want to show all of it because it just can get to be muddled and you want to put your best foot forward. Also have intention behind the work that you show and, and think about what you want to convey about that work. Because one of the questions like we would ask if we're hiring a designer is, well, what was the goal of this piece of work? What was it designed to, or what was it intended to accomplish? What was your thought process behind it? And share some details or be prepared to answer those types of questions because that's what people are going to want to know. They're not just going to want to say, wow, that's beautiful design. They're going to want to know that you are intentional with every project you get because that's what makes you versatile. If you can understand somebody's brand and somebody's goals and then tie it all together. That is something that I actually see as a negative of people now is they pretty much just show things to be like, look how pretty I can make things look. And then they don't actually explain the why or the how they got there. So when I do things, there's a reason behind my madness. And there's a reason I chose this font and I decided to do this color scheme. You should probably walk them through this so that they know that you're actually, you have a brain and you know what you're doing. And you know, it, it sounds silly at the time, but if you walk them through your process, it's going to be more helpful for them to be able to hire you, know that you're going to get the things that they need done and you're not just going to make things look pretty. So I do have to say, Paige, we actually received two different call outs today on Instagram about our design and our brand and stuff. I don't know if you saw those yet, but I was, ooh, but it made me think about the process we went through as a team to identify what we wanted our brand to look, what we wanted it to convey, how we wanted it to make people feel. And I think that's where we came up with the palette of pinks and roses and the wine palette that we have with that pop of the blue. Because someone was, I love your colors. I love your branding. I love that. And I was, and I was thinking about just the work that went into it and why it ended up that way. And I was, there really is a method to that madness and being able to communicate it is really important. Yeah, I actually, I guess I'll promo this. I just finished the first version of our lazy girls guide to marketing. It's a white paper that we're kind of building as a team. And the first half of it took me twice as long as the entire rest of it. Because I was just trying to figure out what I wanted. The design, what was I actually trying to convey in the beginning? Once I had that, I ran with it. And it was a lot easier to finish the, the last portions of the white paper. And just for anyone listening, it looks incredible. I'm so excited. I get to go edit it this week, which I'm really excited about. But it literally looks amazing. So if you are listening and you want to be able to work smarter, not harder, when it comes to your marketing content strategy... You're definitely going to want to take a look and watch for when it comes out because it's coming soon. Yeah. And it looks I just want to clap. I just want to clap and nobody can see me clap. So I'm actually going to clap. I will say it looks fabulous. I have to admit, tap myself on the back, but the content is legit. The content is something that you will, kudos to Charlotte to building this because it is, we're reusing the content that we've started on this podcast. We're putting our, our what's the best, what's the thing? We're putting our mouth where... Money where our mouth is. Money where our mouth is. Thank you. Oh, best foot forward. I don't know what you're going for here. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, that's the promo. So as far as your portfolio goes, what should you include? I include the types of work that you do. So for myself, as an example, I work and I do branding and logos. I work and do collateral, print work, websites, 
make sure that you list those things out because if you're not comfortable doing illustrations, that's probably one of my least, uh, I don't know, talented things of myself. I'm not a great illustrator. So if you're not willing to do that as one of your services, don't add it on there. Or if you're selling a product, make sure to have that on there. Show your past work. We just kind of said, make sure it's intentional. If appropriate, put your pricing model. A lot of people kind of 50-50 if people want to show that and put it on a website. Um, decide for yourself. Show a little about you. They want to make sure they know you as a person. You're not just a designer in the background. Show your face, show your personality, tell a bit, little bit about yourself. And then maybe show some testimonials and client logos or referrals that people can kind of go and be like, oh, they work with this person or they've been able to get this testimonial and these people rave about them. Those are important things to put on your portfolio. And then obviously contact information, duh. <laughs> Email, phone number, whatever you want to have them contact you on. So that leads us into number five, which is have clear and realistic deadlines. So we touched on deadlines a little bit earlier, but making sure that you are clear and concise about it is really important because actually we run into this internally as well. So this is a good takeaway for kind of whatever your role is. But if your client doesn't tell you a deadline, make sure you ask them because if you don't, you're going to run into all sorts of problems. They're going to have expectations that aren't realistic. They're going to think that it's coming a certain date, but you didn't agree to that. It's just going to be messy. So you will have clients that send you everything but the deadline. Sarah, we actually had an internal one of those today. So like I said, it doesn't just go for freelance, but get used to asking for the deadline if nobody gives you one. And to be clear, a deadline is not Oh, the end of the month, because the end of the month to me is what July 31st, but the end of the month to someone else could be July 25th. Don't leave any room for discrepancy make them give you a specific date. That way there is no issues with the completion date for the project. My favorite one is when people say ASAP. ASAP for you is probably different than ASAP for me. If you're the one that needs it, ASAP might be in a few hours, tomorrow, a few days, but you really need to know that specific date and time. Well, I don't know, but time can be important, I suppose, just to make sure that you determine your time for the month or each month as a freelancer. Yeah. It is actually pretty important. I've had it, I mean, even with you guys that are our B2B marketing, there are specific timelines you kind of have to hit some days where, okay, it has to go to print at this time. So it could be 10 a.m. So when they say that it's due tomorrow, tomorrow for me means end of day. But tomorrow to them at 10 a.m. is a completely different story. So that is something to kind of share if that is important, strict deadline. That's actually a good point about print work. If people aren't used to doing print work or if you are a designer, you might encounter people who haven't had to work with printers and making sure you factor in enough time for things to be if it needs to be processed if it needs to be shipped if it needs to be whatever you got to factor in that type of stuff into your deadlines too yeah internally we always say okay here's your project and do you need it printed when do you need it in hand because i say i think when you say when do you need it in hand people are like, okay so i have to give them time to design it come up with content and print so being very very clear there's no stupid question just being 
overly clear is important. <laughs> and ship too. We've run into it where it's, oh, okay, we didn't factor in the shipping. And with COVID, it's a big thing too. Is, I mean, shipping is delayed. So if you need something this day, it could take two weeks to ship to your location. Mm-hmm. That's Paige. We're working on something now. And I was reading, you said we could do rush produ- production time, but then I was reading and I was like, we're going to have to do rush shipping too, because production time is literally from once you approve the proof, which means there's some time before the when the proof is being created to when the proof is available to when you approve the proof. And then that starts production time, which can be five to seven or plus business days. So we're not even counting the weekend. And then you have shipping on top of that and shipping is very crazy now. So I just got a little paranoid when I was reading all the details and it's important to stay on top of those things. It's just, <laughs> I know, I know it bubbles up a little sometimes. I was going to say it reminded me of the form we created, Katie, though, or Paige, Paige created this for us, a survey monkey form where we ask people to submit their design requests and Paige outlined a number of questions that we have. It hasn't worked entirely. I know Paige. we're working on it. I did add a cool field. They can upload things to it though, which they didn't used to be able to do. But this allows you to, if you can work out all the questions you need from someone in order to do a freelance project, it'll save you a lot of back and forth time. You need to ask about if a logo needs to be included, what the contact info is, if they have some kind of brief synopsis of what they want. There's a lot of things that you need in order to start working on a project as a freelancer. That's a good point. There was something else I wanted to mention too, was if, let's say I've had this in the past where I have my retainer. I have my regular clients and then I have a new client come in and I kind of have to set the expectation that I have other things kind of in my, my wheelhouse now. So I won't be able to actually get to this new project with them for a month or two months. Some people I know are booked out for six months in advance. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of website designers are that way. You kind of have to schedule your time. And if you're not going to be able to meet that deadline, make sure they know, try and give them an alternative or else they're going to have to find another freelancer to work. Well, and I think being transparent with that is important. If they need to go find another freelancer because you can't meet their deadlines or their requirements, refer them to somebody. Have somebody in your back pocket that you can send them to or something because A, you want to be able to help that person out. And B, you don't want to say that you can do something and then not be able to deliver. Like that's not going to create a good experience and it's not going to be a good situation for you either. It's not going to make you feel good. Something I have done is I've charged what I call an ASAP fee. So it is a less than, what did I do? Less than two day turnaround. So I used to do this in the beginning. If I had a client who asked for something very, very quickly, I needed to drop everything, drop other clients, drop other work. I would charge them an increased rate of my hourly because, and I explained this to them and they had to sign off on it beforehand. And that kind of helps both parties because I was able to get their work done, but I also was able to get my time compensated for. Yeah, that's a good point. And obviously hitting deadlines is a little bit easier if you use a project management tool, which leads us to number six, which is extremely, it's extremely important to stay organized, not only as a freelancer, but as somebody who's managing a freelancer, because Obviously, that clear line of communication is important for both of you. But Paige is literally the master of Asana and project management. So, I mean, we should have to, we should show a screenshot of your Asana board sometime or something. Just the, my subheaders, all the colors. colors and tagging and just all the, this yeah, is why I you like, at it. 
I feel like we need to share a, a template, a page Asana template. I don't know if that's something you can create slash brand, but I feel it like seems a thing out there. Does sound a thing? Potentially. I mean, with our company, we pay for Asana, so we get a little bit more features. With my free version of when I would do freelance and on our podcast, we use Asana as well. Shout out. Love them. They actually followed us a couple ah, of weeks ago. And I was, oh my gosh, Asana. Was, oh, yay. Um, love you too. So... I use, that, I use that for my projects because I can get overwhelmed when I'm, oh, did I have this due at this day? You really want to make sure that you have your deadline in there. You have any details, you have links. I, I go through and I do where it's not started, in progress, being reviewed, completed. I have all these different steps that I kind of go through just to keep myself sane and to communicate with the client. I actually had it in the past where I asked clients if they're interested in having an account with Asana because I had recurring work with them. And I was like, do you guys want me to communicate via email or some other format? And they're like, yeah, put it in Asana. We'll go in. We can check it whenever we want. So I did that. I, I tagged them when I had updates. It was a really great asset for freelance. So maybe something to look into. Paige, I have a question for you. What's your intake process? When you get a new project via email, what do you do with it? Do you just immediately stick it in Asana and put all the details or how do you, I don't know. I, yeah, I do actually. I used to have things lagged in my email and then I was, oh, I'll come back to them. But then they just set their flags for a week and then the deadline was due already. So I learned from that mistake. So as soon as I get an email, I put it straight into Asana. I put all the details. If I'm missing any details, then I ask them in a follow-up email um, or call or whatever. And that kind of helps me. So if they didn't send me the project deadline, that's the first email I send is, when does this do? <laughs> and then usually I have Google Docs that I have linked in there for content, that type of thing. So is there any other specifics, I guess? No, I think you then also assign tasks to different people and things if you're working with someone and you be sure to enter the, the deadlines. It's nice that you can at people too to help keep everything in one thread. I think it yeah. is hard when you have email and Asana going and it gets a little chaotic about where all the details are. So it's nice you can attach. I just need to be more diligent. I think it's fair to say that Paige makes Asana her bitch. <laughs> I love that. But we were talking about creating our own um, wine labels and stuff. And we were thinking of the, the quote or whatever that we would use. And I want to do Asana is my bitch. <laughs> you I love that. I, I think they would have to feature us on their website at that point. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Very good point. In our offsite podcast, we recommend you checking out after this is we talk about that you can be in charge of an entire project. But you don't have to necessarily do every single task underneath that. So the good thing about Asana or other project management tools is you can have an you have an entire project. You can have subtasks that you assign others. So there might be a task with creating the content for a workbook that we're doing. And then I'm going to be assigned with doing the design portion. So you can really go into that minute detail. So Asana definitely helps you stay on track. But number seven we have is scheduling recurring meetings with your clients if you're a freelancer. And if you are not the freelancer, making sure that you have regular check-ins with your freelancer. People's calendars are super, super full. So it's definitely smart to set some sort of cadence in advance. I know, Sarah, I think you have a meeting with one of our freelancers every Friday. And I know that gets a little, it's been choppy recently just because of other things going on. 
but definitely trying to keep those. Paige, do you have a cadence with your freelance clients that you typically stick to or go with? I know we usually do weekly, but that, those are with our more operational supplementary freelancers who are actually an extension of our team. So this is something that is an aspirational thing, in my opinion, for freelance. I work with probably five separate people at the company for my retainer. And so I just get emails from them pretty consistently. So I don't really have to check in. And it's usually, okay, I got this done. Check this off my list. Archive the email. But I have done reoccurring meetings with the team just to kind of create a camaraderie because we're all remote now. So we do it once a month. And it's just to talk about things that we can do to push ourselves individually and as a team and as a company. So that's something cool too. But this is definitely something for you guys, I think, that has worked really well is that when you're managing freelancers, having these recurring meetings has helped tremendously. When you have those touch points, Paige, do you show your face? Do you turn on video and stuff? Yeah, I think that makes a huge difference in building relationships, especially freelance. If you're not working with that person on a regular basis, I think it takes longer to build relationships just because you don't have sometimes that daily interaction. Well, it shows that you're a person behind the screen. You know, when you email somebody and you don't see their face and you don't know them on a personal level, at least at some point, it's hard to just be throwing them content every once in a while. It's, oh, Paige has other things she's doing and, you know, she's a human. Well, also, depending on what you have to talk to them about, sometimes you need to be able to read their body cues. Some things aren't received, depending on how much feedback you have, some things aren't received well via email because you can't read the tone. But if you can see someone's face or their eyes or their body language, you have a better idea on how they're feeling about what you may be discussing with them. So that actually makes me think of a question, Paige. Yeah. Do you... Do you address with your clients how you want to give and receive feedback? Because obviously it's a two-way street. Obviously they're paying you, but I mean, you pick your clients as much as they kind of pick you. You could be like, no, I'm not interested in working with you anymore. I'm going to go do something else. And I don't know. We just talk about feedback a lot on our team. Like, is that ever part of the conversation? So I might be a little bit of a freak about feedback because I don't really take it as personally as I think some other people might. I really put on the job hat and I'm okay, these are just changes because that's just changes. I don't, I guess, take it as, oh, they're changing my work and I really put my heart and soul into it, which I know a lot of people do. And it's, it is important as a designer, but I kind of put that front on of, okay, I'm, I'm getting paid for this. They want these changes. I'm going to make them. I know some people kind of um, have a different feeling, I guess, about that. Uh, <laughs> But luckily, I haven't had any clients where their feedback was really negative or really nasty. I haven't had anyone that I think I probably would sever ties with them, if that's a good answer to your question, because there's a respect factor. I don't have to do this work if I don't want to. It's, you know, I want to be respected. They want to be respected. Random question. Do you ever push back on clients, though? Do you ever not do what they tell you to do? Occasionally. I think I pick and choose so that I'm not super pushy. Because they have their own reasons behind why they want things changed. If it has to do with making the design better in a functionality standpoint, I make sure to step up and say, no, actually I chose this color because it'll stand out better or whatever, you know. But if it's personal preference, I usually kind of keep that to myself. You can give someone your professional opinion. You can present them with the options. And if they ask why you did something a certain way, like then at least that way, 
you gave them your thoughts and you're the professional designer. And if they choose to agree with that, then yes, they are paying or to disagree with that, then they, in the end of the day, are paying for what they want. So as long as you give them like the options of what you think is, I think that's okay. Yeah, for sure. As far as our podcast goes, we do bi-weekly calls or sometimes we do bi-monthly, you know, it changes with how our schedules are and stuff. This is our, you know, side hustle. So we do that to review next episodes, things that are kind of coming up where we assign tasks to each other, we brainstorm as a team. And that's been really helpful, I know, because sometimes as well, you kind of forget about things and oh, two months went by and we need to figure out what our next podcast is. So that's where we do that in our reoccurring meeting. And last but definitely not least, the bread and butter of freelancers tends to be referrals and testimonials. So that is our point number eight. I couldn't remember what number we were on. (laughs) I don't know what this is. But point number eight is make sure that you ask for referrals and testimonials because this is where majority of your work is going to come from. Yeah, for sure. And we're trying to do that actually now with the podcast is ask for testimonials and reviews. But as a freelancer, that's where you get your clients and that's where you get money. So if you're not doing that, people are going to be like, oh, does this person know what they're doing? Who have they worked with? A lot of people want to know those questions. So as I've said before, about 99% of my freelances come from referrals and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. So take it seriously. Don't underestimate the power of coworkers, friends, families. They will recommend you to others if they enjoy working with you. And if you've done really great work, you don't have to go and search for clients if you have this. We've actually had freelancers that have recommended other freelancers to us where when we needed help in specific areas or needed a specific expertise. Oh yeah, I used to work at an agency and I know so-and-so or they're really good or I used to do this or I have this client that doesn't, don't hesitate to use your freelancers as a way to connect you with other freelancers as well for different skill sets that you might need. As long as there's someone you enjoy working with and you trust their opinion. Yes. <laughs> you, know, you want to make sure you're working with, not but people who have a similar style or you would get along with um, in general. For those that, oh, our drunken marketing on freelancers hasn't come out yet, but it will soon. And you will soon know what a Steve is. And we would not have taken referrals from a Steve. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Paige, I think this was in the work party book, but do you remember, I think it was Jacqueline Johnson who created Create and Cultivate, said, be an effing pleasure to work with. No matter what, take the high road, be a pleasure, because again, that can lead you to something better or someone different in the future. And you just never know who might connect you to the next big thing. Yeah, you really do not. And I, another thing too, I would say is never write someone off. There's been a few times where I was, I just, I'm not really getting as much as I want out of this client. I'm having some issues. I'm running into roadblocks and I wanted to kind of just sever ties, but I've gotten so many great clients and referrals and projects because of it. So I would have really lost out on that. And you really just don't know what can come from a referral. I got a huge gig with Ellen DeGeneres because of a referral. So that is something that you just really don't know how connected people are until you kind of get in with them and show that you're you're worth it and you're a great um freelancer to work with. Um, 
Yeah. Well, I think the big part there is the networking piece of it. You don't know who everybody else you're working with is networking with in addition to who you are networking with. And that spreads your web of connections so broad. So you have no idea who could become a future client or who might stumble upon you or might know a friend of your brother's girlfriends. I don't know. It That's a real thing. And I think we've seen that as we've worked with, um, as we've worked on our Instagram and who we've followed and the communities that we've become part of and the companionship we've found with some other accounts. I think it shows that the world is a lot smaller than you think. Yeah. And you can really learn from each other when you network. We've joined a lot of Facebook community groups to be able to, one, I mean, network and learn from other women in the same field. And two, to help kind of spread our content because we want to make sure people are learning and taking as much as they can. So when we can, we plug our our podcast when it's appropriate. And now we're doing it virtually. But have you guys ever attended any networking in-person events? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And they're not. It depends. It depends how the effectiveness of them really depends on A, your personality, But also be the setup of the event because a lot of times people tend to go in clicks and you have to find your way into those different clicks, which is really challenging because I'm not somebody who's just going to wander up to somebody and be like, hey, who are you? Where do you work? What do you do? Like, it's just not me. I would rather sit there and be like, "Mm, I'm going to go find the bar. (laughs) Go sit in a chair. But So if you are the person where in-person networking events, if it works for you, go for it. But I think there's other ways too. Well, there's ways that I've gotten clients through just LinkedIn. I forgot about this until recently, but when I moved to Michigan, I had just left my job at Gannett. It was a, I did ads for newspapers and magazines and I put that on my resume on LinkedIn and someone in the, in the area reached out and he said, I'm looking for exactly what you just did. Do you do freelance? And I was like, no, but yeah, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, like sure. And I got some really cool gigs out of it. So you just really don't know what type of platform and social channels you can get these these referrals and networking opportunities. Well, and I'm actually going to give a plug here to Sophie, who runs Pretty Little Marketer. She actually has a um, a service now where, she, where she'll help you level up your LinkedIn. So if you are somebody who has some work now or a portfolio to show or some experience to show, she's definitely somebody who can kind of, I think, guide you in the direction if that's something you're looking to do. So with that, we have covered eight major takeaways or things to keep in mind if you are a freelancer or hiring freelancers. So just to recap real quick, our key takeaways here that we want you to walk away with today are number one, create boundaries and decide when you do and don't want to work and make sure you communicate those. Number two is set expectations from the start with everything from answering emails to project deadlines. Be sure to set your pricing and determine what your time's worth. That's number three. (laughs) Sorry. Number four is build your portfolio for new clients to get to know you and what you're capable of. And last but not least is have clear, realistic deadlines. Just kidding. That's not last but not least. (laughs) I didn't scroll. This is number five. Have clear, realistic deadlines um, and make sure you stick to those and ask the questions. Number six, use a project management tool, aka Love Asana to manage all your tasks and deadlines all in one place. Number seven, set reoccurring meetings between you, the freelancer, and your clients. 
Number eight is to build your network and ask clients for referrals and testimonials. This will help you get more business in the future. And now, last but not least, need a good place to start and figure out where to get started? Check out the Mind Your Business book that we mentioned in this episode. It walks you through how to get started with your freelance business. So with that, everybody, that's a wrap of Wine and Whiteboards today. Thank you so much for listening. If you are wondering how you can support the show and if you love our podcast, leave us a review. Share it with your friends, your family, your enemies, or whoever else you think would enjoy the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're always looking for new listeners to add to our wolf pack. Thanks for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. For show notes, links, templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page at Wine and Whiteboards podcast. And while you're there, follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine-themed humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips. Cheers! Cheers.